You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm sitting here with Scott Hampton, who just did a uh, lecture for a bunch of students here at Emily Carr. Is that something you do normal? Oh, no. No, I rarely uh, find myself in front of students. Um, but, you know, I'm happy to do it when the occasion arises or whatever. Well, welcome to Vancouver. Thank you. I'm always happy. City. It's, a, it's a lovely town. Mm. Usually we're able to, you know, get people to enjoy it. I'm sure you'll have fun while you're here. Um, just to let folks know a little bit about Scott, your um, describe the work, uh, painted work, kind of of the style, growing out from I'd say the studio. Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, some of the works include Batman Night Cries, Upturned Stone from Heavy Metal, and the solo book from DC, part of the wonderful solo line, as well as Life Eaters, Lucifer, 
um, Batman Other Realms, and last but not least, Silver Heels. Now, how did you guys describe it as the first in-continuity painted comic? That was, that was Derwin. Uh, Derwin was... Uh, Oh, he was on what my wife might call an elocution safari. Okay. There. Uh, no, uh, it's just, it's essentially the first painted comic book. I'm curious about that because I uh, and, and can, I don't want to. You can split hairs. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking of like the work that Corbin was doing up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, what Corbin was doing, I think, was primarily for Heavy Metal magazine, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Wasn't that where it was showing? Well, heavy metals, undergrounds. I mean, he had Fanagor. Right, 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 right. Point. And they they weren't in full color though. I think at the, up until that time, I think they were black and white. Were they not? Except in heavy metal. No, the Fanagor. Fanagor was actually doing full color work. Some 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 were color, some weren't. Um, maybe not so Fanagor, but I do have some some color stuff from the seventies in mm-hmm. underground comic form. Right, right. Well, then if that's the <laughs> case, then it, it might be. Uh, but if it was, it would need to be a series to also, you know, because again, one-offs are one thing, but a comic book series. Well, That's why I always say, not the first comic book. I, I, it was shorthand to say comic book, uh, comic book series, ongoing okay. series. There we go. I, maybe I'm too anal or retentive. No, you know, I mean, and it might be that there are those. I would love to see them actually, because I've never seen mm-hmm. these. I've seen uh, the the Den stuff from Heavy Metal, but I always uh, magazines are one thing that, you know. To my you mean mind, specifically the like a, like what was it a Pacific? You said they originally published or Eclipse? They originally published the uh, comic. Pacific originally published the first part, and yeah. it was collected and then finished up by Eclipse. But you know, look at Little Annie Fanning. That's a painted. That's a beautiful painted job from the sixties. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's comics. It's in a magazine. But it know? also had truckloads of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. to fund the right. production that went into right. that. Right. You know, that's also something to be said about the Little Annie Fanning, where you have. Kurtzman and Elder and whoever else was also pitching in at the same time too. So. Right, right. It's, I don't want to use the, it's not as much as an tour thing. I love Elder. Love him. Mm-hmm. Much missed. Um, so doing Silver Heels at that point then, you weren't really exposed to other painted comics thing other than maybe what you'd seen in Heavy Metal. Right. I'd, I'd seen... Uh, I'd seen the stuff that Chicken had done with uh, Cody Starbuck. Did he color that himself? I think so. Because I know he's colorblind. Yeah, well, it doesn't stop a lot of people. Robert (laughs) Fawcett was colorblind. Oh, really? So is uh, Mike Kaluta for all that. Really? Yeah. Did you know that, Brandon? I know. Yeah, but but colorblindness is, it can be, uh, you know, uh, you can have a slight case of it and you can have total weirdness with it. So, so no, a number of people who are colorblind uh, still manage. Um, So, how old were you? Was it, what, I forget what year, like 81, 83? Silver Hills came out in 83. 83, okay. So I was, uh, I was, I was 24, <laughs> I think. Um, maybe let's look at some of your influences getting up to that point, mm-hmm. um, especially the comics. I was mentioning uh, the studio. Mm-hmm. So was that a book that you'd had? Yes, from the moment it was first published. What did that do to your mind? History. It blew it, of course, um, and all, but their their art had been uh, in my 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 brain long before that. I mean, mm-hmm. the very beginning of Wrightson's and Jeff Jones' careers, I was picking up Abyss and uh, Squatrant and and uh, anything that you know that Wrightson had done and other people. So I was 
I was catching Kaluta and those guys in in Web of Horror before uh, they started, you know, really showing up that much in other mag- other comics and magazines. So they're they kind of hit, uh, and I uh, and I just started following them. Any, anywhere I could find their names, I would I would pick mm-hmm. up whatever I could. My brother as well. Your brother, Bo Hampton. Bo Hampton, yes. Um, when did you really want to get into doing comics and doing cartooning, or was that, or and how did that work with your painted work? Well, my brother Bo was my was the catalyst from all, almost all my interests. Um, I basically followed him. He was bringing comics in and drawing them, and I basically copied that. Uh, he was playing guitar, and I he taught me how to do that. And so yeah, it's, it was Bo. It's Bo. Um, what did you want to do with comics when you? Um, as a young, you know, pre-Silver Heels, oh, yeah. reading the studio, reading, you know, what, heavy metal at that point, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, I uh, I wanted to, you know, I, I just wanted to get involved. I knew that I would love to paint comics or, or color them on the boards in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, again, I was, I, I'd been looking at Frazetta and Jeff Jones and all this painted work, and then I was getting interested in other people's work as well. Uh, Corbin, uh, you, you point out, is like brilliant, and following him since the undergrounds in the late '60s, um, uh, I think. Uh, I, I don't know when his first underground show up, but I think the late '68, '69. He was started with, early too with doing that that film work as well. Mm, that's right. That's right. So uh, again, I, I'd been knocked out by mm-hmm. all these people doing all this work. Um, but so I sure I wanted to paint them and I but but mostly I just I it's it, it's actually I, I didn't read them it mm-hmm. took me a while to start reading comics I mostly looked at them and um, and uh, so I was I was more interested in doing single illustrations from comics you know not not even from comics I just I would do drawings of women in long dresses just pulling, doing my Jeff Jones you know and. Uh, and that was the stuff I was showing when I first started showing it around when I was 17, 18. I was showing illustrations of women in long dresses and stuff, essentially. <laughs> God Maybe bless. I should have gone into fashion illustration. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, would your work, body of work be as easy to access? Um, probably not. But you'd have a lot more women wearing certain dresses, I guess. Uh, maybe that would be good. I, I you know... I don't know. I, I, I just look at fashion and I just, yeah, I do doubt that I would have fit in. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's very rare where you find folks that are in comics that have crossed over in that department. I think like Lorenzo Matati maybe. Mm. I mean, he is, I mean, he's in another world of himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's brilliant. I agree. <laughs> um, when you started doing Silver Heels, did you guys have what kind of um, challenge do you have as far as technology documenting the work and creating a painted comic? Because from what I understand, at that point, um, reproduction techniques were a lot different than they are now. Obviously, no Photoshop, right? No scanning, right? Well, there were scanners, but they were they weren't the they were separators who were doing the scanning, mm-hmm. and they were doing them on uh, drums. And uh, some artists had horrible. Uh, situations where they would do their art on a piece of illustration board and have it folded to wrap around a drum, and uh, and they just ruin it. Yeah. So, 
in the earliest comics, everybody I knew wrote on the backs of their boards, do not bend, do yeah. not, you know, put it in a drum. Uh, so then you'd have to have it have it shot and uh, then take the, the, that photograph or what, whatever it was um, and that chrome and actually print from that and wrap that around the drum, scan that. So, no, that was the way it was back then. But was that how you guys did Silver Heels? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I, I, I heard that, like, it was a lot of challenges. That was one of the reasons why you couldn't really do a lot of painted comics was because it was a challenge to reproduce and really be able to capture those colors correctly. Well, uh, everything's relative. Uh, yeah. uh, you'd have a good print day, you'd maybe not the next. Yeah. Um, some of my comics have printed reasonably well. Some have gone very blue or red. You know, it's like it, it, even today it's, it's a problematic because when you're, once you're ganging up on a large press, uh, it can be influenced by a lot of things. I remember being on press for the printing of Night Cries, the Batman book I did, and, mm -hmm. and uh, Angelo, uh, who was the head of, the, of Ronald's, uh, in, I think it's Montreal, uh, he, um, he was overseeing it, and, and he asked me what I thought, and the separations had come back all gray. All my blacks were gray. And so I said, well, we're going to have to push the gain on the black, otherwise this book is going to die, die. It's never going to... You know, yeah, but with the, the name Knight in the title, you probably need some <laughs> blacks. Exactly, exactly. So I said, push the blacks, and they pushed it a little bit. And I said, no, no, no. I mean, like, push it all the way up. Yeah. And they said, well, you're going to kill all your yellows, and you're going to kill all the subtle exchanges and whatever. And I'm going, I don't care. I, I can't afford to have all this gray. You know, these these things were overlit when they were separated. So, I, you know, this is the only way we have of pushing those blacks en enough so that we can make that those grays close up and, and, and get a decent black. Oh. Something I noticed a lot in, in your work was the uh, was how much solid black you used. It's my uh, yeah. my wife does comics as well, and, and she's always talking about doing painted comics, and that's always my, my worry about them is their you know the the lettering you know that comes in solid black. Um, you know it, it always seems really alien when something when everything's gray around it. And something I really appreciate about your work is is that you do use black as a color a lot. Yeah, I, I do. I also use lime, um, in my even in my painting these days mm -hmm. more and more because I want it to, I want to be, want there to be integration between the lettering and the painting. Uh, it's the big question mark about painted comics. How do you how do you deal with that? Chris Muller deals with it by being more graphic and uh, and and getting more. He uses black as well, but it's very visceral, right? Well, it's visceral and it's very graphic. It's very uh, there are a lot of edges, and uh, and that sort of uh, can make the lettering less, you know, float less. But but it's still it's still for anyone who paints, it's it, it's the big question mark how to integrate them, and uh, I think we've got some ways to go with that. Is the approach or the kind of understanding different now than it was 20, 30 years ago with painted comics? The approach in terms of just uh, creating them, well, it's, it's it's been informed by the internet and by yeah. the computer. So, yeah. How would you say? Oh well, because now there are a lot more options. Photoshop has allowed uh, the making of books like the one that Brandon's looking through. That one is called Life Eaters. I primarily did it in such a way that the the the, the figures were often separate from the backgrounds. 
so that I could, you know, reuse the backgrounds if I needed to. It's certainly true of the way I approached a comic book I did, I did called Silver Heels. Uh, no, I'm sorry, called Simon Dark. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that book is all black and white with tone, and then the colors are added, and all of the, the characters are separate from the backgrounds so that I can then mix and match and, you know, and build up the scene and reuse the backgrounds. Um, and uh, so, so I've become more and more interested in that. But you know, back in the old days, yeah, no, you had to paint all the stuff on the board and it had to sit there. And if you messed up that last panel, well, you either had to do a paste up or you had to try to correct it somehow or whatever. It seems like that, that process of doing different backgrounds and characters would take a lot of pre-planning. <clears throat> yeah, I think it does. I, I think whenever I approach a large project, uh, and if I can work that way, I will because I, 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 I want that morgue. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to use those, I mean, set up locations. Uh, Simon has a church he li basically lives in. And I have like three or four or five shots of the outside of it and the inner courtyard. And then I have, I think, three or four shots of the caverns underneath where he lives. And again, I would close in on parts of them to be the backgrounds for when Simon would be talking to another character. Or I would, you know, I'd pull back to another shot. And, and again, it's very useful to have all those. It's like having you know permanent setups in movie making that are just like here's one, here's another one, here's another one, and essentially the, all that it can be is on that line. I can I can dolly in you know mm -hmm. to the background, which is to say close. Well, it's like on. animation style, right? Where Somewhat. you have where you have your background and then you have your characters, right? Function within that background. Exactly. Exactly. The Simon Dark. I read that today. Um, don't have it here with me because uh, you know stacks of comics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the, the art it feels um, it feels really different for some of your stuff. Mm -hmm. It feels like uh, kind of I want to say like edgier as far as like having sharper edges yeah. and um, kind of saturated too. Saturated in what way? The colors, the tones, the, the, the tones and the colors. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the thing is that when you, as you say, when you've got the word dark in your title, you kind of yeah. need a lot of dark colors. And a lot of it takes place at, place at night, and it's hard to keep the colors from getting very saturated. Um, that was something we, we dealt with early on, and tried to, to, to you know, I was at fault for a lot. Of, uh, the earliest pages of Simon Dark are like gray characters and dark black characters in black against a night night sky or or whatever. And I'm just losing figures left and right, and they're getting caught up in, in shadows. And I'm pulling out light sources and trying to get light behind them to, to, to cut across them so that I, I don't have them just dying against the black. Mm -hmm. um, that was, again, the, Brandon mentions the pre-planning. It's like I hadn't pre-planned planned well enough. I had to, That was a learning curve for me. That whole book was, in fact, because um, it was the first time I'd set up a, a bunch of characters as main characters and supporting characters who were going to show up again and again and again and again and again. And, again. and uh, I'm going... You know, had I thought had I thought about it a little bit more, I would have made uh, the main detective character a blonde guy, you know, and the main villain guy dark haired, and I would have made Rachel the girl a you know sort of light fair haired, and I would have made the the the, the woman character darker. So anything I could do to differentiate them like like that, yeah. but instead I I just sort of <laughs> made everybody uh, sort of <laughs> have dark hair and. And that made made it very confusing for some readers, and I regret that. You know, I I, I was just confused when the guy had an arm again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. 
Well, um, it, uh, there's no need to be confused about that. It, it's explained as soon as he's, he's, he's introduced again how he, uh, he's a, d- a demon who yeah. can regenerate all that stuff. I was thinking about color in the sense of identifying characters, almost like um, how the music in Peter and the Wolf works. It's just another, another trick to kind of mm-hmm. help the reader along. Right, yeah, exactly. No, but I, that was a learning curve for me, and, uh, and since then I've been trying to make sure that I'm more conscious of being obvious with character design to, to differentiate them. Yeah. And when, when I said saturated, I didn't mean as a, as a criticism, but more as like an effect and a feel. I appreciate that. I that I got that. No, I, I, I hear <laughs> um, How was the challenge for you doing such an extended series? That's the first time you've really done something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun to work on. Um, Steve and I co-owned the character. Um, I love the idea of, of Simon, and I, and I did enjoy what Steve did in the, with the writing, and, and I, I also wrote a little bit of it myself. Um, and uh, but I just I really got involved in creating over 400 pages of continuity, mm-hmm. and 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 um, and I'd never really worked that extensively with reference. I, I shot a lot of reference for the book. So that I could, you know, have a more realistic quality to the the, the storytelling, and um, so shooting all that reference, keeping a morgue, you know, trying to, you know, trying to keep the characters, um, just just uh, going, keep them evolving, both in the way they behaved, and uh, and and the you know the way I don't like to have people have the same costumes day in day out. I like for them to change their clothes. You know, I as normal people will. You know, so so I, I had a lot of fun with it, um, and it was uh, it was really uh, uh, as I say, uh, I learned a lot in yeah. doing it. So that was that was a lot of fun for me. It, the, the fact that it's created owned is interesting because it was part of like a general DC universe type thing. Right, it was an anomaly. For, for it to be uh, for us to own the, own the character, yeah, it's uh, it takes place in Gotham City, and uh, you know, and that was essentially a decision made not by Steve or me, but by I think marketing. Um, but Steve and I were determined that it should take place in a small pocket of Gotham, and that it should be separate from Batman and whatever he's doing, and uh, and just uh, you know, it's a big city, just like New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it can have stuff going on and once it becomes citywide and this epidemic takes place the fact that we don't focus on what Batman might be doing about it well DC can handle that themselves I mean yeah. they can ha- have someone else do a, a miniseries <laughs> what Batman did when one day he realized there were a bunch of demons roaming around Gotham and how he might have dealt with one element of, of that problem but, but it, you know as soon as it starts to take place within like a day or two it's taken care of by Simon so you know it's uh, you know, but yeah, I was worried about that a little bit because again, it stretches credulity to have something that big happening in Gotham and Batman yeah. not being be involved. But him him not being focused on doesn't mean he's not involved. It's just that we're not showing you what he's yeah. doing. Um, now, as far as like the ownership goes to the product, mm-hmm. say if you guys wanted to do more Simon Dark work, yeah, are you able to go and do like? at another publisher or self-publish it or is I it or is think it linked so, in time but I'm not really entirely sure just just what uh, DC's rights are mm-hmm. um, there may be uh, there may be all kinds of little little hiccups along the way 
I don't know. I'm not really sure. I'm not that up on the contract. Um, but I think that Steve, when he first set it up, was, you know, yeah, did, did want to have, want us to have the potential to do that. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I know that they may have first, you know, first dibs on everything. Yeah. But if they, after a certain period, decide to, to decline on whatever it is that we want to do, then I think we do have freedom to go elsewhere with it. As a painter, what is it about comics that attracts you as a medium of creation? Well, uh, the, the beauty of trying to create painted comics is that it, so little has been done with it over the, the history of, of the form that we're trying to, to solve elementary problems mm -hmm. that have been solved long ago by lying. So finding the analog, the, the painterly analog to, uh, to line solutions is, uh, is, uh, is, is, is perplexing and interesting. And, uh, and uh, you know, dealing with the lettering is just one among many. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting, like when Night Cries came out, it's also the time when Pratt's Enemy Ace came out a little bit before that, right? Yes. Pretty contemporaneous. Like there's a group of folks like what's funny is that George and I were roommates for for, for a long time, for almost a year. And when he started uh, Enemy Ace, I was working on another book. And then I created another book, and then I started on Night Cries. And yes, Enemy Ace did come out before mine, but but it took him a long time to create that book. That's not where I was. I was kind of more meaning. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not saying. Yeah. I'm just. Uh, I'm just offering the, the, that's the, the timeline. It's. It's funny. It's like it seems like he came out before I did, but but and uh, but he started so far before I did. Yeah. That you know, it's, it's, it's just. I'm just. You're reminding me of just how long it took him to do it. Quite a while. Yeah. That's quite a book. I mean, it's. I, I mean, it's. Unfortunately, in some ways, unfortunately, it came out then because I think if it came out now, mm -hmm. it would have a really big impact. Interesting for being such like so well written, so well illustrated. Um, the the materials covering at that point in time, quote unquote, graphic novels weren't as necessarily understood the same way mm -hmm. by a larger market as right. it is now. Right. Well, that I, I maybe agree. maybe they needed it more then. <laughs> there we go. It's, it's go. one of those touch. Well, it's all, it's all it's all uh, it's all evolution. I mean, if if he came out at the wrong time and and uh, a more historical look at things would be better received now. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, everything's timing. Look at yeah. David Bowie. I mean, he says he he regrets being the first one to do almost everything he's ever done. He wishes he was the follower instead of the guy who started it because all the followers are all reap the rewards yeah. and he's just sitting there, you know, having invented something and they get to just go off and make money. So there's also something to be said about being able to uh, play with it more when it's no one else has done it yet. I suppose. Hopefully. I suppose so. Hopefully. Yeah, it's like it, optimistic thinking when, when it's when it's brand new and you don't know what you're, you know you don't have other people to, to rely on or the work to, to fall back on. It's a bit, uh, you're, you're kind of treading into an uh, area, you've got to really just have faith that yeah. you're in the right area. It's like, because otherwise, who knows, uh, you may make, uh, I think a lot of people make a lot of blunders because they don't have enough that's gone before them yeah. to give them enough support. Say, oh, don't do, don't do it that way, do it this way. Like, so, but, you know, hey, 
It, so I'm just saying it's not it's not necessarily play that's going on then. It's probably more stressful <laughs> for those people. Well, did you, you have know? a community while you were kind of getting this stuff together? Like, were you going back with your brother for a uh, Well, yeah. My, I mean, my brother's always been a great support for me, and, and I try to be for him as well. But, uh, but when I first started, uh, a whole bunch of us all met on the same day. Essentially, uh, Mike Bignola, George Pratt, Kent Williams, Mark Chiarello, John Van Fleet, I... Um, Charles Vess all met one day at, the, at a New York convention and uh, some of us knew each other from being in classes like Kent and George and Mark and John were all at Pratt together mm -hmm. they met me, Mignola, Vess all again and we all met the same day and it was, uh, it was an interesting uh, thing to, to have all that art and all of us at different mm -hmm. you know, places kind of you know all Looking at what we, the other was doing and being jazzed by it and saying, "Wow, and it's like it's a it's interesting, an interesting time." Did you go to art school at all? I didn't. Um, a lot of my friends did, and I've I've called what I you know I I, I, I sometimes think of myself as the 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 great parasite of, of the, the group because I I'll just say, "Look, how do you get that effect?" And they'll go like this. And uh, they'll say, and I'll say, great. And they'll say, well, that'll be a hundred thousand dollars. I think Brandon, you're in the same book. That's actually totally been my move. I have an older brother that went to art school, and all of yeah, my friends me around me. Yeah, it's a great trick. I recommend. It's it's great. It is great. The only thing I didn't get was the fun of being at art school. But the only thing is that I I was always so 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 much of a, you know, I always didn't want to be told what to do. And at our school, I, I just had this nagging feeling that they might want to want me to do some, some things I didn't want to do. I think that's the the, the modus operandi of, you of art school. school. With the with the figure drawing and everything that you had. Couldn't hear it, Brandon. What? Oh, did you were you interacting with art schools a lot, going to figure drawing and things like that? I came upon figure drawing later. Um, once I met up with some of my art school pals. I mean, George was the first one out the gate, but the next year everybody else graduated, and uh, that was all early on when I first met them. They were all still at school when I met them, um, and uh, George and Kent were starting to get work in comics, and uh, Mark and John were gearing up to do so. Um, so, so yeah, it was. Uh, but, but, but no, I, uh, I. It's when I met them that I first started actually getting more life drawing under my belt. Mm -hmm. I'd had some, just not a lot. Do you still keep up with it? Uh, whenever I can. I, I, for me, it's the the problem is that I'm, as a freelancer, I'm working so much, you know, day to day and day out that I um, just m marking, getting time to, yeah. to get out and and spend doing it. I have to almost carve it out, and it's it's not easy. Do you do any sketchbook stuff at all? Very little, mm -hmm. you know. I uh, again, I'm, I'm yeah. just so often behind the eight ball in terms of getting my yeah. work done. So that could be a good kind of training in itself too. Mm -hmm. So, are you using a lot of? Uh, do you use many models, or, or yourself as a model when you uh, your work? Yeah, I, 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 these days I often am lazy and fall back on just using myself as a model, and I'll, I'll play a lot of different characters in a lot of different of the books I do. And I change it, you know, and make myself, you know, younger, fatter, black, white, whatever. Does that involve and you just painting in front of a mirror? No, I take a photograph, set it, 10 seconds, I go and I just... Cue <laughs> 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 awkward look, pose. Yes, exactly, cue awkward pose. And, uh, and then I'll draw from that. Um, and, uh, 
also, you know, I'll, I'll you know use who's, whoever's handy, um, and uh, I try, and I've used my cars so often, you know, <laughs> as I have, I've turned them into supposedly, you know, a Chevy Nova. What was it I used a? God, I had, no, I had a, I was past the Nova. I used a Nissan, now a Civic, a Honda Civic hatchback to be a car of the future in a book, <laughs> and it just didn't work. I mean. It just didn't, you know. It's, I I, st- I use the little posts, that, you know, with the headrests from today. I'm sure that won't be the way it is in you know, th- another thirty years. Hell, it's not the way it is today, probably. <laughs> I don't go in new cars very often. <laughs> the funny thing, like looking at your work and kind of hearing about your contemporaries, um, like a lot of the folks before you really focus on a fantasy aspect, mm-hmm. and I feel like with you, you're a lot more into the horror. Well, I am. Yeah. yeah. That's my thing. I, uh, I've i just always been a, a huge fan of, first the ghost story, and then secondarily horror uh, as, a, as forms. So I, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I slowly became more enamored of these, of those forms. And it's funny, it's like, the first horror book I ever read was a collection of stories by Robert Block that I won in my English class. I, uh, I was in English class and one day the teacher said that she was going to have a, a little contest of some sort. I'm not sure what it was, uh, what, what you had to do to, to win it. But the first boy who, who finished first and the first girl who finished first would be able to go up and pick a book out of, the, out of this bin of books that she had. And so I finished first with the boys, uh, and the girl finished before I did, but uh, I'm glad it was, you know, set up in that way. And uh, so I go up there, and I see this paperback sitting in there um, with, uh, I think, an arm coming out of a refrigerator or a freezer or something. And I said, oh, that looks pretty cool. So I picked that up and took it home and started reading it. And at that time, I'd read a lot of Bradbury, and I was into science fiction very much, but I, I was interested in horror, but I'd never read any. And so when I took that the, the, the stories, those stories home and started reading them, I was hooked. That was the beginning of my love affair with horror books. <laughs> um, looking at um, kind of your larger significant works like The Upturned Stone and Night Cries, both deal with um, child abuse of some sort. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. You you caught that? Yeah, go ahead. Well, what what is it about that particular topic as something? Of interest to you, yeah. It's it's curious. I'm not quite sure what the impetus was that that I came up with the story behind Night Cries, and I pitched it to Archie Goodwin, and he he was up for it. But the whole child abuse angle and and dealing with that, and then of course extrapolating from that to the Upturned Stone, which was the next book up after Night Cries. um, I'm not sure exactly. I, I have all this, the, the normal, you know, sort of uh, abhorrence for it, but I don't know that anyone doesn't, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure why uh, it became such a, a thing for me at that time. I, I kind of, it's been lost in the, in the ether. Um, but, 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 uh, but the Upturned Stone has its basis, or its, its origins in, a, in an earlier story I did that has nothing to do with child abuse. It has just to do with the rape and murder of a girl. Um, and it's a story called The Revenant that was in a, a, a collection of, of uh, horror stories called, was it was the next one up after Twisted Tales Tales of, I can't remember I can't, Eclipse had a version of Twisted Tales that they yeah. did once Twisted Tales yeah. ended 
And so, um, tales, I don't know, twisted somethings. I don't know. But anyway, this book. different anthologies. But, but this anthology had, uh, I did a story for it, like I think 13 pages, in which, and it was, a, it was a classic. It was set up as a classic 19th century ghost story situation with the modern element of, of it being fairly upfront about the rape and murder of this woman. Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, but um, that was the, the basic situation of that story was essentially another version of it is what the upturned stone turns out to be and so although childhood child child abuse is is a big thing in in both it's almost the it's almost the extra thing i added to an earlier story so it's hard to to con out just where i that that part of it came from for me do you see them as linked works though Upturned Stone and Night Cries? As, as, as what? As linked works? Linked works. To the extent that, yes, they, um, they were both broiling around uh, for me. They were the two big ideas I had um, back to back. And although, I mean, when I started doing Night Cries, shortly after I started on it, I had the idea for the Upturned Stone. But I had to finish Night Cries, and then I could do the Upturned Stone. So... The ideas for both came within months, mm-hmm. and um, took me a year and a half or so to do Night Cries, mm-hmm. and then I could finally get to the Upturned Stone. Well, what's funny is that almost I figured out I came up with the idea for the Upturned Stone uh, for Night Cries, and then I pitched that, and then I came up with the storyline for the Upturned Stone. Well, between those two events, uh, those three months, San Diego kind of happened. And that was the year that Kevin Eastman was going around to all the artists he liked. With a bag of money. Exactly. <laughs> with, with, with checks for $10,000 all set up and, and basically saying, look, want to do a, a sketchbook for me? Here's $10,000. You want to do a sketchbook? Here's $10,000. Um, well, I missed out on that action. Um, he, he asked me if I would be willing to do, uh, interested in doing my own property for his comp- new company. I would own it, yeah, but they would print it. And the good old days, but uh, I said, yeah, I'm definitely interested, but I I can't get on it until I finish this other thing. And uh, by the time I did, um, I mean, things happened very fast for Tundra. Yeah. um, The books just didn't sell, and there were, you know, there there were all kinds of problems. Um, I think that Kevin may have overextended. He bought his own printing company. Um, His own tank. Well, but the, but the yeah, but the it was it was in connection with Tundra and the printing plant and all that mm-hmm. printing, printing company, um, trying to keep it all in house, and then again paying top dollar to a lot of terrific creators, but but then there were a number of them that were new guys. Kevin was very. Catholic. He had people like me that, that, that had done work that he whose work he liked, and he wanted to support them and Kaluta and yeah. rights. But then there were new guys coming along, and he, if he liked it, he and he liked what you were doing, he might give you a contract too, and you could do it. Well, the thing is that it, they were suffering, and the, the company was was sort of hemorrhaging money to a certain extent. He had a big group of people on the editorial staff and all the rest. And uh, so when I finally came around and said, well, I'm ready to get to work, they said, well, you know, I don't know that we can afford it now. It's like, uh, so we worked out a deal where it would come out in heavy metal in September, and then the graphic novel would follow in October. 
So heavy metal would pay me part of my money. Tundra would pay me another part. Kevin was paying me all of it because yeah. they were both owned by him. Right. But but at least that spread the pain out a little bit, and uh, they they, they thought, thought that was a good idea. So that's how we worked that that putting that book out. And I imagine it's two different audiences too. Yeah, yeah, they are two. Well, I'd say you have an audience for heavy metal, right? You have a real audience there. But what Tundra had wasn't an audience. They didn't really have they a, had a money pit. Right? That was the problem. <laughs> uh, if they had an audience, they might not have been in that trouble. Um, Kevin is one of the nicest guys to ever come into comics. He's one of the go- those people who's, who loves a lot of different things, and he and, and he had the money and the, the wherewithal to to try to support that, and he did, and uh, he got burned by some artists and creators who took advantage, I think, of, of Kevin to a certain extent. I'm not going to name names, but, you know, some, I mean, there were people who, uh, who should have really given him full, full value for the dollars he was giving them, and I don't think they did, some of them, and, um, I mean, I just feel like it, it really was a venture that, if it had been, if it had been handled slightly differently, um, with more of a business model to, you know, whatever, maybe that, that could have, it could have worked, I don't know. I heard that when Dennis Kitchen took over and kind of took it in the Tundra stuff, it was just, it was just a train wreck. Like even trying with Dennis Kitchen's, you know, stable model, he's been doing good for you know right. so many odd years, yeah. and bringing in the in the Tundra stuff, there's just no way to maintain it. it was just well, I, and I was right in the middle of that. When, uh, Kevin called me as soon as he was about to to the, put up put out the press release about this to just assure me that. Your book is safe. We're transitioning over to Kevin to Kitchen Sink. Dennis Kitchen is going to be, but but you know he's going to publish your book. He will not interfere with you. You and Paul, my editor Paul Jenkins, Paul, you know, get to finish this the way you started it, and uh, and, and and you're going to have full support. And uh, so I said, well, I'm sorry to hear the tundras are going, but I'm glad to hear that, that my book will not be one of the ones that may take a hit. Some other books did. I mean, some other books that were sort of begun and were going. Uh, you know, didn't didn't end up getting published. I know Baron Story's book was was going to be dropped, but he's like, it's in the contract. Got to publish it. Oh, interesting. Well, I didn't know that, and I'm glad it was published. And I'm I know that Kevin is glad that it was yeah, published. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. It's a it's a they great insight. It's didn't an interesting sell any copies. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, well, a lot of a lot of the best work doesn't. No. Yeah. So it's the sad realities of yeah. comics. Yeah. I would imagine that's the work that's almost feeding the next generation to get the couple people to see it are the, really, the ones that get really excited about comics. Right. right. Yeah. Is that a cycle in there? Earlier during your talk, you um, were talking about intellectual property, and um, I want to talk about that a little um, about what you're saying, about the importance of owning your work, and I'm curious, on your take as a cartoonist now, because I didn't feel you're 100% in Kind of being a cartoonist as much as you are, like in creating a property. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell me what being a cartoonist is. Creating comics for the sake of comics, mm-hmm. um, where with what you were saying about, um, and please correct me if I've got it wrong, since people listening weren't here for it, mm-hmm. was about the getting it into the movies, getting the work into the movies, mm-hmm. or having it transition into movies, like being a prep step for mm-hmm. the film being the end product. Well, um, it's not as black and white as that. Um, you can do a, 
a book and want it to be the best comic it can be and still have as a secondary notion or even just as another notion that's on the same same track it's just as important to you um, to have it be something else or evolve into something else um, I think that's to a certain extent the modern model because I don't know that anyone is unaware of the idea that you can your 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 property has the potential to be things other than just a comic book mm-hmm. now if uh, if anyone wants to to simply say look I issue all other forms I only want to do a comic book I'm going to do my comic book it's going to sell no copies and I'm not going to let anyone do anything with it but I will retain ownership of it because I don't know when I might want to reproduce it reprint it uh, change it alter it do anything that person is going to then want to retain their 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 ownership and they have an intellectual property mm-hmm. and uh you know, and who knows what the future holds? That person may change their minds, but they can't change their minds if they don't own it. Yeah. Don't own it. Okay, so that's really where I'm coming from with it. Um, for people like me, who 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 are you know, I, I love comics, but I have never um, uh, felt that I could create an audience for what I love in comics. Mm-hmm. There just isn't the audience for horror and ghost story material this is my love and yeah. you know there are very few people who are really into it you know there are a lot more people into almost anything than, than what I love and so if that's the case then where where do they love these things why they love them at the movies and I go well then that's my audience that I would like to get to to a certain extent if I want to tell my stories but I have no background with telling stories you know, in Hollywood, mm-hmm. I have background in telling stories in comics, so it's been sort of an evolving thing for me to 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 think in this way. Um, I have friends in Hollywood now, um, and a uh, number of contacts, and I get I'm getting more. You know, as time wears on, um, and uh, you know, and I I would like to to see that that other element of a career start to grow more and more. Would it be a worry of yours at all that people's perception of your work was changed through other adaptions of it? Um, I'm sorry, Brent. Say again. I missed the first. <laughs> sorry, I was just saying that it would be a worry of yours if uh, uh-huh. people's perceptions of your work, like um, like I know the guy did Scott Pilgrim, Brian O'Malley. He's constantly getting the movie quoted to him that wasn't in his comic book, mm-hmm. and I know it, it annoys the shit out of him. But uh, mm. but just well. I, I don't see there's a way like. You know, like something yeah. like Tank Girl, where they make this horrible movie off of a comic that I really enjoyed, and then yeah. when you say Tank Girl, people are like, "Oh, the bad Laurie Petty movie." Would uh-huh. that be a worry of yours at all? No, no. I because the honest truth is that I'm thinking in terms of stages and steps. Right. The first step for me is getting a property sold, not made, just sold. I mean, I've had it optioned. Right. There's the the line the the line between that and the purchase of the the property. Mm-hmm. The pulling of that trigger, that there's a chasm, you know, and it's it's not you know it's not uh, gulfed uh, easily. Um, you, if if I can get the money that that represents, also the 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 rights that obtain when through my contract for the in the making of the film, I have no say about what the making of the in the making of the film in my contract. Right. But I, but I do get to come on the set. I do get to. I'm. I'm. I can be there as a as a, as a producer 
and and have some say not not a lot but some say about the visual elements of it but the truth is that I think that uh, I look at it as, as the first stage uh, I may never come up with a story that is is as as uh, solid and as effective as the upturned stone that might be my best my best story you know uh, as I go get for, go forward and maybe it's it's how I I sell that and it gets made and it's crap and uh, you know whatever um, and maybe that's just my bad luck right. but I have to have hope in that that I can come up with stories that are as effective or more effective um, as time wears on and if I have the money that that you know I, I have a fund that starts me spending more time writing and and trying to tell those kinds of stories that's you know I can't ever get that if I'm just making comics to, to make my monthly you know yeah there, there has to be a side something yeah like I don't I don't make my money off of comics I, I kind of I always tell people I use comics as a billboard and then I do work I don't show anyone right and that's what, what pays enough to live off of mm-hmm. right right I mean how we live how we negotiate you know that um, is you know I, I find that I'm at a stage in my life where if I'm going to take advantage of some of the opportunities that have come my way I really I need to be a little realistic about you know about everything so no I, I would love <laughs> I would love to have the power to 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 write and direct the upturn stone the film I would love it right and if I had something else that had made me a quarter of a million dollars so that I could afford to do that then it would be brilliant but unfortunately the the first book of mine that's been up that's been that where Hollywood has shown interest and where it may flower into something mm-hmm. more is the upturn stone so it's it's one of the very few I've ever written and it's one of the very few I own I own some short stories you know little things here and there but the only thing that's got enough body to, that, that people say, wow, I can see the movie in that, is the Upturn Stone. So. Well, it's, it is the strongest work out, well, of, I out, of, out of your body of work. Like well, I appreciate you saying so. Yeah, and, it, and, I, and I like that because, um, you know, working in the painted comics, most of the time you see folks working with a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is nice to see the more cartoonist aspect of being the tour within the work and putting it together as... Right, as your piece. So. Well, I'm not going to give up on that name, cartoonist, just because you say so. Because Harvey Kurtzman worked for Matt. Will Elder worked for Matt. They were cartoonists working for the man. Yeah, pulling down a paycheck and, and and making product. So I see them as cartoonists. No, a cartoonist is a is a wide berth. Term. Ah, it's, it's right. Um, because I like being a cartoonist. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> when, when I say cartoonist, I mean someone that writes and draws the work. No, I appreciate that, that but you said you said yeah. you also said I think to to a certain just, per, just per, because they wanted to do the comic itself that was the end result. That's what they wanted, yeah. and I appreciate that, and that is good. I, I'm all for it. I you know I, I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. Uh, I love comics that are done just for the sake of being comics. Yeah, but a lot of people um, were always interested in in in, uh, in what whatever else might come, you know, including Kurtzman, Elders, Eisner, you know. I guess my my thing, and this this may be my own little diatribe, is mm-hmm. um, artistically speaking, it's very dangerous um, for folks 
I see folks getting into comics as this is a way I'm going to get my movie made. I'm going to make this graphic novel. I'm going to get this movie made. And it's like you see a, a, a market flood of Scott Pilgrim clones. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's happening. There's people that, that, that make that. I it's, imagine it's kind of different if you're like already making comic books and you're like, what yeah. can I do with this this work? I've noticed something that, that the comic industry, like, we don't we don't have that many fantastic artists all the time. And so mm-hmm. I think that people really want to hold on to the people that are in comics and be like, oh God, please don't leave us for other, other <laughs> industries and other yeah, I hear forms. that. And uh, something I've been having to deal with a lot lately is my my girlfriend or wife, whatever the hell she is to me. Is, uh, <laughs> she's, she's much more... Um, You're superior. My, my, yes, the, the lady that beats me. She's much yes. more... Um, so you must be obeyed. Yeah, she's much more fluid as an artist than I am. And so she'll be a painter sometimes and sometimes she'll just want to do like video game work. And, and it's kind of opened up my mind on that Sometimes you just want to be an artist. You don't have to be a cartoonist or a filmmaker. Sure, sure. It's just about kind of getting out of that, those little boxes. Of course. Well, for me, um, I will resist being in a box as soon as I feel the four walls around me. Right. But I don't feel them yet. I, I, I feel like I'm just a guy doing whatever I'm doing. And on the day, there's a line in a movie called Reuben Reuben where someone says, oh, I'm glad you're a great poet and you haven't sold out. He goes... I can't wait to sell out. I just can't find a buyer. Um, I, I haven't found a buyer yet. I've got. I've found some renters, <laughs> but no buyers. Yeah. And that's the that's the where I where I'm at. I if I can through whatever means stop having to make my living by doing work that's not you know you know that's that's not personal. Um, if I can find a way to carve out more time for myself, that's all I want. That's what I seek: is the the freedom to then write a novel, write a write a screenplay, direct a film, um, all that. It's like it's, it's, I was born to direct movies. I don't know if you know it, but I've got background in acting. I've got background in music. I I've got background in writing and and art. And uh, and I, I look at movies and I go, oh, shit, I understand everything about this except for the the most technical stuff. And with that, I just find the people who do know that. Because I get along very well with them, and um, and and just put this put some stuff together, I could do some stuff, but I just don't have the access yet. Now Robert Rodriguez would slap me and say, "Well, you do have access. You can you can rent a two thousand dollar DVX one hundred camera, and you can go out and you can just make a movie for almost nothing." And uh, just don't accidentally yeah. make the spirit. <laughs> no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know. But no, I, I mean, I enjoyed that more than you. But that's a whole other conversation. I won't watch it. <laughs> well, I, I can't say anything about it because I haven't seen it, so I'm not gonna. I won't. I it's won't. an entertaining Frank Miller movie, but it's not a Will Eisner movie. Well, that's <laughs> unfortunate because Will Eisner's aesthetic, if it were properly done, because he he was always influenced by opera and theater, mm-hmm. staging, um, more so than film, um, can 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 is has a has an intimacy that could really work. Well, maybe work. maybe it would work if it was an intimate work mm-hmm. being done, and a Frank Miller spirit movie will not be an intimate movie. Well, I haven't seen it, so I can't say. But it's it just you know, and, and it's not a, that that's not a slag on on Mr. Miller, right? Um, but you know, a man that makes violent comics mm-hmm. for the most part is going to be their go to his art, mm-hmm. um, and that's and that's reflection. Yeah, but Eisner's work is so strong; it'd be hard to put any of yourself in that. You'd have to pay much. Do what Eisner wants you to do, almost. He'd help because it's all there. Right. 
Uh, I think we're at the end of our time here. You've been Great. very generous with your time. Oh, it's time been a pleasure. Today. Thank you, Scott, for coming to join us. Brandon, thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Robin. I, I enjoyed it. Such an unhappy 